As we uh, dive into this message, before we do so, would you pull this out? It's in your bulletin. Hopefully this will be a way to apply this sermon today. This is in your bulletin. This is all the information related to Holy Week. And I've got a, a request for you. As we go into Holy Week, know that in our culture that the uh, days in which people, if they do go to church, uh, most frequently it's on Christmas Eve and Easter Sunday. And the fact is that you were here not on a Christmas Eve, not on an Easter Sunday, uh, because you know that Jesus uh, means so much more than just once a year or twice a year, and you've given your lives to this one who's given his all for you. And as followers of Jesus, we don't just do this for ourselves, we don't just show up and enjoy Easter for ourselves, but my prayer, my encouragement, my challenge to you is that you would invite people in your life, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, to come on Easter Sunday. Now here's what I want to show you. In this uh, bulletin, on that card, you'll notice on the very bottom, that nice turquoise color, that's the service times on Easter Sunday. It's on April 21st, 6 a.m., sunrise service, 8, 10, and 12. Now, here's the deal. When you ask somebody to come with you on Easter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask them, what time would you like to go on Easter Sunday? And whatever time they say, that's the time you're going. They might say 6 a.m., And some of you with young kids are like, man, that's like the afternoon. But some of you are like, I haven't been up at 6 a.m. since like the 80s. I don't know what it looks like. If they say 6 a.m., you go to 6 a.m. Now, chances are they're going to say 10 a.m. because, you know, that's the time that seems like people often like to go. We, we seat about 1,400 in our sanctuary. We'll have overflow, but we expect anywhere from four to 5,000 people to be here on Easter Sunday. So here's the request. Uh, if you don't invite anyone, do not come in the 10 o'clock. <laughs> don't come. And if I see you at the 10 o'clock, I'm like, oh, who'd you invite? Because here's the deal. Uh, We can't fit 5,000 people in this 1,400 sanctuary. I know it's fun to have it full, but our guests won't love that. So if you don't invite anybody, if you're like, no, Easter's for me and me alone, you're still welcome to come because Jesus loves you. (laughs) But come at six. What's that? Then you invite the next person. Denitza, no one's going to say no to you, though. No one ever says no to you when you invite so many people to this church. I know that's true. Here's the deal. More people are going to say yes than you think that will say yes if you invite them in a personal way. Don't just, like, throw this at them as they're walking by on the street. Say, hey, can I, can I pick you up? Can we carpool? Do you want to come over to my house afterwards? Can I meet you in the parking lot? Uh, you know, can we meet in the cafe and walk in together? I guarantee you, if you ask in a personal way, they will say yes. And if I see you at 10, I'm going to ask, who'd you invite? And if you asked a whole bunch of people and they all said no, I'm going to give you a big hug. And I'm going to say, happy Easter. But if you don't ask anybody, come to the 8 or the 12. Please. Let's be a, ho- or 6, yeah, 6. Let's be hospitable to our guests. Another request. If this is your church family, I'm going to tell you where the best parking spot is as far away as possible. (laughs) Now here's why. Because you're never late to service, right? No, we're never late to service. Uh, And since you're never late to service, you park up close, and those people who are late to service, by the time they come, 
not only do they have a farther walk, but chances are they've got a farther parking spot. Make it even later for them to walk in the service. So my hope and my prayer for you, not only that you invite people and you go to wherever they want, whichever service, uh, but you would park as far away as possible, that you would ride the shuttle in, that you would be encouraged and encourage others as you come in and leave some of the closer spots open for those who just kind of stumble onto our campus at like 10.05 for the 10 o'clock service because they think that's late and some of you think that's early. Uh, But we've got to create room up front. All that to say, that's how we can apply the sermon we're about to go into today. So would you open up God's word to John 4? I want to make it nice and practical connectable. And in this sermon series, we're headed towards Lent. We're in John chapter 4. I'm going to read a longer section of scripture. It's on page 864 in your pew Bibles. If you're joining us online, some, it's 865, I believe. If you don't own a Bible, take it home with you. We as a church family would love it to be in your life and open and speaking truth and love. It's that red book in front of you. If you're in the front row, there's a little cubby behind your leg. You can grab it there. And this John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. It's a longer section. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. We planned this months ago. Jesus talks about himself as living water, and it's no coincidence that this Sunday we have no running water (laughs) on our campus, which I'll get to in a moment. God's humor, right? Chapter 4 of John, verses 1 through 30. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized. He, this is Jesus, left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain 
nor in Jerusalem. You will worship, you worship now what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah. Can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Yes, my friends, is the reading of God's word. All right, so this sermon series, we're taking a second look at famous scripture passages. Show of hands, how many of you have ever heard about or read this scripture at any point in your life? Okay, so we're, we're good. We're aiming for verses, scriptures, stories in the gospels, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus that likely are familiar. And it's our hope, you know, Rebecca and I, as we created this, along with our pastoral staff, to take a look at these passages and linger long enough to take a, another look, a second look, to chew on this passage and maybe see some things we've never seen before or perhaps remember things that we've forgotten along the way. Now, 30 verses, whole bunch here. Uh, if I did what I wanted to do, we'd be here till like 5 p.m. And we don't have running water, so that would not be smart. I had somebody say to me earlier, like, I don't need to use the restroom, but I can't stop thinking about going to the restroom. And that's me too, and I feel like that. And then somebody else I saw right in the beginning of the service was like, I can't stop. It's like, it's this thing, you know. Here's what I want to do. I want to focus in on one thing, this thing that just leapt off the page that I'd never really seen before that just electrified me like a lightning bolt. But to get to it, I want to walk through three questions. And if you're taking notes and if you um, just have the ability to write this on a phone or piece of paper or in your mind, the three questions that lead us to that are these. First, who needs this gift? Second question, who is worthy to receive this gift? And then lastly, who is worthy to share this gift? All right, who needs this gift? Now, to be absolutely clear, the gift that Jesus is offering this woman is himself. And he uses this, this metaphor. He says that I am living water. And what's so significant, you know, about this metaphor that Jesus is using is he's using this thing that, that everyone on the planet can relate to. And he talks about physical water and physical thirst, and he talks about how necessary it is to survive and how we, we, we thirst. And you know, you're know you a smart group, and you know that the majority of your water is, uh, body is actually made up of water, and I think some of you might know that uh, there's no muscle in your body, uh, no organ in your body, no tissue in your body, no cell in your body that isn't made up partly of water. 
So necessary is water to your existence that there is actually no uh, function of the human body that can exist without water. Uh, Every system in your body, water somehow plays into that. And it's this constant dance of trying to stay hydrated because not only do you lose water from sweating, you actually lose a little bit of water every time you breathe. So significant uh, is water that, that many people around the planet have died from lack of water. And they die typically from lack of water before they die from lack of food. In fact, it can be argued that actually uh, water is more of a necessity than food, perhaps. And so Jesus is, is using this metaphor, and he takes the, the necessity of this and how, how intertwined this is into our human existence in ways that we absolutely take for granted, and he makes what seems like a leap, perhaps this woman or perhaps to some people here today or those listed online, he listens to this and he says, as much as you need physical water, you need me. You cannot exist, Jesus says, apart from me. And you've got to understand right from the get-go that the answer to that question, uh, who needs this gift, this gift of Jesus Christ, you've got to know that the answer is everyone. And that's one of the most politically incorrect statements you can make in 2019 in the United States. How dare you say that everyone needs Jesus, I've heard it said. Some of your friends, maybe some of you here, some of your coworkers, maybe some of you have a hard time sharing what Jesus means to you because maybe some people are saying to you, well, that works for you, but I know it works for me. And when we're talking about sharing our faith, and as we get to Easter and in the season leading up to Pentecost here as a church, all the way up to June 9th, we as a church want to equip you to understand how Jesus has, is, and can transform your life in such a way that you can then share that with other people in your life. But you're going to know, and you're going to experience that people are going to encounter you and say, no, 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 that works for you, but I know what works for me. And I want to just dive down on that, 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 that concept, that idea, because it pervades our culture, and it's not new to our society. It's always existed. But to say that some people need Jesus... That Jesus only works for some people uh, kind of like reduces Jesus down to the size of my watch. You know, when we talk about like what works for me, it reduces something down to something that you can hold, that you can feel, that you can touch, that you can use, that, that you can consume. How many of you right now have a watch on, literally on your wrist? Put your hands up. Oh, so watches don't work for all of you. Just some of you. You know, I got friends who are like, hey, what's, what's watches are so redundant in the age of smartphones. I mean, I've got my time on my phone. I don't need a watch. It irritates my skin. And so for some people, watches work for some, and they don't work for others. For some people, handbags work for you. Some people, the color yellow works for you. Some of you, it does not work for you. I guess I'm one of those people. I was told that one day, yellow does not work well with your skin. I'm like, oh, I'm going to keep wearing it because I love it, you know. <laughs> Just how I roll. And what we've done in that statement is we've reduced Jesus down to something that we can hold. And Jesus says, don't you dare. Think of me metaphorically as something that you can simply hold. 
I hold you. Don't reduce me down to something that you can consume because I consume you. Don't reduce me down to something that you can just want. I am what you need. The other day I was in a car and, you know, confessionally, I I actually very rarely listen to uh, Christian uh, music radio. Uh, for some reason, I, I, I go straight to the playlists, and you know, and I've got them, uh, and I go right to the worship albums, and I, and I listen to them straight so often. I don't hear the DJ, I don't hear the people calling in, but I was, you know, I really listen to the radio. And someone called in, uh, and they said, "Jesus fits so well into my life." And I thought about that for a moment. This idea, oh, Jesus fits into my life. Is really a dangerous thought. This idea that Jesus is kind of a, a, an accessory or a commodity or one of many things, a, a thing that can help us, that can help uh, refine us. And it's so natural in our self-help culture that we have all access to all these different things. And in this amazing world of access, we, we often reduce Jesus down to this level of just one of many things. And he says, don't you dare do that. Everyone desperately needs me. And he says, this gift that I want to give you, you've got to know that you need it. Every single one of you, with an earshot of my voice, every human being on the planet needs desperately the living water that is Jesus Christ. Because in the same way that you can die of thirst, you can die from a soul thirst without Jesus Christ. And he says, I want the world to know. And he says, Bellar Church, you cannot forget how much you need Jesus to sustain you, to give you peace, to give you hope, to give you a future. When you read scripture, it says that all things exist by the power of God's word. Jesus is the word of God. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is before all things, and through him all things were made. You live and have breath and have a heartbeat because of Jesus. He's not just one teacher among many. He's not just one great person in human history. He is infinitely more a necessity in your life than even water itself. And you've got to know that from the get-go. Leads to the second question, who is worthy of this gift? Now you might think, okay, well, you know, I don't go to church much, but maybe this pastor is going to say people who pray, people who give, uh, people who are Christians already, people who show up to church, not on Easter or Christmas Eve. You know, maybe he's going to give me a list, but this church knows what Scripture teaches, that all of Scripture reveals that no person is worthy to receive this gift. This woman is surely not worthy to receive this gift. But not for the reasons that the disciples thought. We'll get to that in a moment. There's a great leader of the early church, Paul uh, was his name. I want to show you a moment where he realizes that his uh, good deeds, his, uh, his history, how he had lived for God in the past, uh, even all of that, even though it was a flawless, perfect record, caused him to not be worthy of the gospel. Take a look at this. Go to Philippians chapter 3. It's a little later on in your Bible. This is New Testament. This is one of the letters that the Apostle Paul writes to a group of believers in a town called Philippi. In Philippians 3, why don't you shout it out when you get there? 
955. Some, trans, some uh, of our Bibles say 954. That's because more and more people take our Bibles, which is awesome, and as we replace them, it's one page different than the older version. So Philippians 3, take a look at this. This is Philippians chapter 3, 4b. If you ever hear or read whenever it says 4b, uh, that's like the second half of a verse. Side note, many of you know this, that verses and chapters were added many, many centuries after the original documents were written just for ease of reference, which makes it easy on a Sunday morning because, you know, if I was like, can you go to the part where Paul talks about, like, his zeal for the Lord? Got it? Go. We'd be like, oh. But we can say Philippians 3, 4b. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh... Let me uh, translate that into 2019 version. If anyone thinks that they're worthy to receive God's love, if anyone thinks that they have measured up to receive this gift that every human on the planet needs, I'm even more worthy, Paul says. Look, it says, I have more. I've measured up even more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. I am a moral valedictorian. I am the person that people look at in society and say, that person is worthy of accolades. That person is worthy of acclaim. That person is worthy of respect. That person is worthy of, of God's love. Who is worthy to receive this gift? Watch what Paul says. He says, not even I. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish. Of all the weekends, for our sewer system to back up on this campus, the Apostle Paul says that my good deeds, which in the English is translated as rubbish, which is like the G-rated modern Christian American version of refuse. That which belongs in the sewer. So the Apostle Paul is saying that all of my good deeds, the things that I thought made me worthy, actually should have lived in a septic tank. And I considered all trash. And rubbish. And I'm not going to say any words for you, brother. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go there. I leaned over to Mike right before the nine o'clock service, and he, and he summed it up so well. He said that sometimes our self righteousness gets so backed up, gets so clogged that the righteousness that comes from Christ can't flow through us. The reason why we don't have uh, physical water on this campus is because our system is blocked up with a lot of rubbish. And it needs to be rotor-rootered at a commercial size industrial level. And until we get that stuff out, 
water can't flow through. And the Apostle Paul says that your prideful good deeds that you maybe carry around with you are backing you up. Anybody else been backed up? Man, I had a surgery a couple years ago. I won't go into details. Uh, but the medicine that I had to take afterwards, I became severely dehydrated. And I could have basically been on this campus for seven days straight without restrooms, and I would have been fine. When you start getting backed up, it leads to toxic levels in your system. The moment you begin thinking that you are worthy to receive God's love because of your good deeds, toxicity is building up in your system. You, I, we, no one is worthy of this free gift. No one is worthy. And the problem with the disciples in this moment is they thought they were worthy and they sure didn't think she was. A woman? A Samaritan woman? You see, here's what's absolutely remarkable. Not only what Jesus does here, but what it says to us today. So phenomenally, Jesus crosses over three massive barriers by just having a conversation with this woman who was a Samaritan at high noon. Let me walk through each of these. You see, culturally, in that first century, those disciples, they thought for sure she was not worthy. Why? Not because they had a good understanding of self-righteousness getting in the way of God's righteousness, but first of all, because she was a woman. In that culture, it was male-dominant, male-centered. Uh, only men were disciples of rabbis. And so they looked down her nose, uh, their nose at her, and they, and they couldn't believe that he was having a conversation with her. And what's so amazing about Jesus is he helps us see the world through God's eyes. And he says, don't you dare put women down. Equally, men and women are used for God's glory and equally need to receive this gift of love, this gift of grace. No one is worthy, but I'm going to give it to all people, men and women alike. They're equally made in the image of God. Equally, part of what God wants to do in the revival and renewal of all things. So Jesus hops over that gender hurdle, but then he hops over an ethnic hurdle. You see, in the English translation, it kind of waters down in verse 9 something that uh, really is missed. Go back to, to John 4, and I believe it's in verse 9. And it's a parenthetical statement that John adds, and it says, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Now, that's a really watered-down version of what was actually going on. The, the Samaritans were, were uh, people who partly believed uh, in the law of Moses, but they also worshipped other gods. They had worshipped other things, and they kind of had this synchristic, kind of blended view of, of what life was. And in the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, it literally says that Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. They were on the wrong side of who's in and who's out. And Jesus walks up to a Samaritan. 
and offers this free gift of himself of living water. You know, I guarantee you there, there, there's some people in your life that you absolutely don't believe deserve God's love. Not because we are all unworthy, but because they're different than you. And Jesus says, I want you to see the world through my Father's eyes. No one is worthy, but this gift that I'm bringing is to everyone. And the, the walls that you build up, you build them up in the wrong ways. Who's in and who's out? So Jesus crosses over the gender hurdle. He, he crosses over the ethnic hurdle. And then he crosses over one more hurdle. What's, what's the other hurdle? Well, she shows up to the well at noon. In the first century, no one showed up to wells at noon and alone. Many scholars say that this woman isn't just a woman who's a Samaritan. She has tremendous social shame, likely because she falls on the wrong side of a moral issue. She's not showing up with the other women early. She's not showing up at the beginning of the day when you need water. She avoids everybody to show up by herself at noon. And not only does Jesus speak to a woman, not only a Samaritan, but a sinner. Somebody who was filled with so much social shame that was an outcast, that was marginalized, who was kicked to the side, who, who didn't have any community perhaps who had to go through the basic necessities of life alone, and Jesus shows up to her. And yes, it's true that everyone is in need of this gift, and yet no one is worthy of it, and Jesus gives it to her. He gives it to her. He crosses over the gender hurdle, the ethnic hurdle, the moral hurdle, and he says, I don't care what you've done, who you are, how alone you are, what culture says about you. This gift that you need is for you, not because you're worthy, because I'm worthy, and I laid down my life for you. And here's what's so amazing. And it leads us to the third question. Who is worthy to give this gift? And this is the aha moment. This is the thing. This is the thing that I got to where I was like, oh, I had forgotten. What happens next? You know, usually in my mind, I put a period at the end of the story and say, wow, that's so amazing that, uh, that Jesus has done these things. I skipped ahead. Can I, can I rewind a bit? Is that okay? Do we get time? Anybody have to go to the bathroom really bad? You're okay? Let me, let me, let me, let me rewind a little bit. There's one thing here. That it seems like Jesus kind of like changes the subject. Can, can we take a look at this real quick? We, we, we can't skip over this. Uh, verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's asking. She says, I want, I want this thing, this thing that gives life. And it seems like Jesus changes the subject and says this. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. Well, that's really like not cool. It seems. I thought Jesus was all about women. What do you mean? She's got to go get her husband? Like what's the phrase when you like put men up more than women? What's the phrase? What is it? No, not a misogynist. It looks like Jesus is misogynist here, perhaps. He's not. It looks like he's changing direction. He's not. 
It seems like it's a non-sequitur. It isn't. What's going on here? She says, give me this water. And Jesus says, can you go get your husband? What's going on? This is for every single one of you. Jesus says, you want living water? Let's talk about the thing that you've been going to to satisfy the thirst of your soul. You want living water? Let's talk about this thing that you think is going to give you peace and joy and security. I know that you are on your fifth husband and then some. Five husbands and now another man that's not her husband. He says, you want me? Well, I want all of you. Jesus, you want me? Well, I want the thing in your life that you can't have without. You know, some of you, you come here today, and it's that job title that you're chasing after. And you think that once I have that, I'm going to have peace, I'm going to have security, I'm going to have joy. Jesus says, no, 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 let's talk about that. If you want me, if you want living water, if you want my presence and my peace and my joy, let's talk about that. Some of you are like, no, no, I, you know, I've just got to get out of debt, and then I'll be happy. I've got to have this much money in the bank account. Just, no, let's talk. If you really want me in your life, some of you, it's got to be a person. It's got to be a thing. It's got to be an experience. It's got to be a reputation. Whatever it is, you have it, I have it, we all have it. And Jesus says, you went living water, not only to come to you, but flow through you. Let's talk about the idols in your life. Because I want everything in your life. I want your relationships. I want your finances. I want your sexuality. I want all of it to be laid down at my feet because I love you and I accept you and I adore you and I want to transform you for my glory. And there's certain things in our life that we say, no, 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 Jesus, you can't have that. You can have 5% or 10% and Jesus says, your system is backed up. I want to flow through you. Every single one of us has it. Something that gets in the way of the living water that wants to flow through us. And Jesus says, I want to talk about that. And what does she do? She changes the subject. He didn't change the subject. She does. Let's talk theology then. Let's get something away from me. Let's not talk about my idols. What do you think? Should we worship over there or over there? We notice that a lot, don't we, in church? Don't we, church? Man, this thing in your life, I don't know, it just seems like it's got a hold on you and it seems like that that shame that you've been carrying is preventing the living water to flow through you. Well, let's talk about eschatology. What? No, let's talk about what's going on in your life. This woman tries to hide behind theology, and he he gives this amazing answer. I won't get into the details of it, but he says, before you used to worship at a location, but the hour is coming when I'm going to give my life, and the, the veil in the curtain, you know, the temple's going to be torn in two, and my, my presence is going to be unleashed throughout all the world. And when you worship, you're going to worship by the power of the Holy Spirit, not at a physical place, but wherever you go, and you do so in a way that lines up with the truth of who I am. You don't just come to church to worship. 
And you don't worship just to make yourself feel good. It's through the power of the Spirit in the truth alignment of who Jesus is. He alone is worthy of our worship. Okay, now finally, now let's get to the, the final point. Who is worthy to give this gift? It's so remarkable. I used to think that Jesus said, okay, now that you've come to Christ, can you introduce us to your, your family? Like for some reason in my mind, I used to think that Jesus is like, can you take us to your village and we can share? Maybe some of you think, okay, now that he's led this woman to himself and she's given her life, now he's going to call in like the pros, the big dogs, the disciples. Hey, disciples, can you go into that village and, and share your testimony? Because maybe you think, well, she's not worthy. I mean, she just came to Christ. She hasn't gone through a class. She hasn't gone through membership. She hasn't gotten baptized. She hasn't done all these things. What happens? Take a look. John 4. We didn't read this section. 28. And then I'm going to jump down to 39. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She dropped the thing that she came to do. Some scholars think that it's maybe in shame she dropped it because of how the disciples interacted with her. Some scholars are saying that uh, her purpose has now changed. She's, she's dropped this thing. She, she goes back to the city. Verse 39. Ready for this? Many Samaritans from that city believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Jesus says the most worthy person on the planet to allow that village to encounter the risen Savior is this woman. Jesus says, the most qualified to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ is not my disciples. And what's amazing, Jesus doesn't even go first. He says, it's you. You've experienced my presence. You've experienced the transformation of living water flowing to you and through you. Now you, you go. You are worthy of giving this gift to others. Now, here's the truth. The moment that you experience Jesus through faith, in that moment when you are transformed by the power of God's love and you receive the Holy Spirit, you have a new creation in Christ, uh, you're brought out of darkness and it was marvelous light. Ready for this? You are the world's foremost expert. There's no one on the planet who is more of an expert than you at your experience with the risen Lord. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're more qualified than I am in telling your story. So don't think that you've got to just kind of get someone to me so that I can share my faith. No, you go to them. Your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your, your your extended family, people you are in relationship with. And you simply share boldly, this is this is how Jesus has transformed my life. This is how he is transforming my life. And I gotta tell you, 
here's how I need him to transform my life because I'm in desperate need of him still. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus says, now you. You be my ambassadors. You be my witnesses. You go out. You, you are now worthy to give this gift to others. You know, as a church, we long to be a church that follows Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. And the model for this is not the disciples in this story. It's the Samaritan woman. And I think some of us slip into acting like disciples. Why is he talking to her? Why is the pastor talking to them? Why did they get asked to share their testimony? Why did they get chosen to go and to evangelize? They're not like us. Whenever we slip in that, we're like the disciples who missed the point who Jesus didn't ask to go into the town to share their faith. We need to be more like that Samaritan woman who drops everything and says, I want that. I want that living water. I need it desperately. Fill my soul. Fill my hope. Fill my peace. She doesn't go running back and say, now I've got to figure out this thing, but she does need to figure it out. She's just come to Jesus. She's developed a relationship with Jesus in that moment, and he's going to transform her from the inside out for the rest of her life if she allows him to. Will he do the same in yours? So first and foremost, who needs this gift of Jesus? Everyone. I love it. Some people's hands, they're like me. <laughs> yes. Who is worthy? No one. But all you need is need. All you need is empty hands because Jesus wants to give it to you because of his worthiness. He trades your self-righteousness for his righteousness. He, he cleans you out and he puts living water in you. Who is worthy to give this gift away? Everyone in humility that's received Jesus. Baylor, let's be that church that knows desperately how much we need Jesus. I mean, I see you with your water bottles. You're like, I'm on my fourth water bottle. I'm on it. Like, culturally, we get how much we need water. Perfect metaphor, Jesus. But let's also know that the people that we share our faith with in our life Jesus says, I want you to think of the least likely person on the planet that you think would love me and worship me. That's who I want you to share your faith with. And then I want you to know and trust that if they come into saving faith with me, I want to use them in the people in their life. It's kind of a scary thing when you give control back to God. The disciples were freaked out. They were trying to hold on to it. Jesus started doing different things. And this woman with unabashed joy dropped everything and ran to her people and says, you've got to come. You've got to experience. You've got to see. And it goes on and it says this, that they, they believed. Many believed. And then they went and they found Jesus and invited Jesus. And they experienced Jesus. And even more people came. That's her story. Let's let it be our story. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for this time that we can sit at your feet, be taught by you. Jesus, if there's things in our life that we've put up on a pedestal that really are the place in our lives that only you can sit and reign from, God, we confess it to you. We thank you that in love you move into our life, that you forgive us, 
that you desire to transform us. So Jesus, in this moment, would we simply give back to you our hearts, our minds, our attention, all that you've given us, maybe an act of worship. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray and we say together.